Good morning. Thank you for being here this morning. It means a lot that we can worship together. I want you to know that even though this virus has quarantined many people, the Word of God is not quarantined. It's very powerful, and God promises even in Isaiah, it accomplishes that which he purposes. And so we come again to God's Word today. I'm going to continue, just continue in the series that I began in the book of Isaiah, and we're at chapter 42. If you haven't brought a Bible, please turn there, and uh, we'll be uh, reading from this passage several times today. So there's an insert in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. Uh, <clears throat> take that out now as well. A policeman showed up at the man's door, and when he opened the door, a cop pulled some handcuffs out and said, you are under arrest for downloading the entire Wikipedia. The man was shocked and said, wait, I can explain everything. <laughs> it sounds like you're watching from a video, but... Actually, there's a lot of people here. If you listen close to Isaiah, he's trying to explain a lot of things about the promised Messiah and what he's like. We spent a few weeks looking at this mysterious figure Isaiah refers to as the servant of the Lord, who it becomes clear is the promised Messiah and who in the New Testament the writers identify as Jesus Christ. In fact, quoting from our passage in Isaiah 42, Matthew tells us that it refers to Jesus. In Matthew chapter 12, 17 to 21, after this account, he says, This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out, nor will no one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he leads justice to victory, and in his name the nations will put their hope. So far, we've learned from this passage that the Messiah will be a servant king um, whose mission is to heal the broken and bring justice to the nations, and that means make the world right again. Today we're going to dive a little deeper. One more time, one more look at this first servant song and talk about the scope of Messiah's mission. It's clear little subtle hints in this text that Messiah's mission will extend far beyond just the nation of Israel. God's anointed servant is sent to bring justice to the nations, to the entire world. He will not be disheartened or crushed, Isaiah says in verse 4, until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands will wait expectantly for his law. In the next two verses, God tells us that he is interested in reaching every single human being he made through this servant he is sending. And the way he says it is this in verses 5 and 6. Thus says the Lord God, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and its offspring, who gives breath to the people on it, 
and spirit to those who walk in it. And then speaking of the servant right after that, he says, I am the Lord. I've called you in righteousness. I'll hold you by the hand, watch over you, and appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations. So speaking of every person on earth whom he's given life to, he said, I'm sending this servant. I've called you so that you and appointed you as a covenant and a light to the nations. Messiah's mission, in other words, is to reach the nations with God's salvation, and it's a truth that echoes through the whole book of Isaiah. In fact, I've said this before, but as you're reading through Isaiah and you come across terms like this, coastlands, islands, nations, people, the ends of the earth, he's talking about Gentiles. He's no longer just referring to Israel. He's talking about everybody. For example, we see this We see these terms in Isaiah 42, in verse 4, he will not be disheartened, crushed, until he's established justice in the earth, and the coastlands, referring to Gentiles, will wait expectantly for his law. In verse 6 of chapter 42, I am the Lord, I've called you in righteousness, I will hold you by the hand, watch over you, appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations. And then finally in verse 10, he says, sing to the Lord a new song, Sing his praise from the ends of the earth, you who go down to the sea and all that's in it, you islands and those who dwell in them. He's talking about all the Gentile nations on the earth, not just Israel. And so then Isaiah clarifies Messiah's goal, and I believe he's talking about two things Messiah is sent to do. We've already talked about the first, which is to bring justice to the nations. Justice, if you remember, it's mentioned three times in four verses here in Isaiah 42. And what he means by justice is making everything right in the world, the way God designed it to be, the way it should be. And the result is Messiah's peace, shalom. The second part is what we'll look at now, and that is just to introduce it, but Isaiah is going to continue with this theme through the rest of the book. Uh, The second part of Messiah's mission is obvious. It's related to the first part. It is to bring salvation to the world, to the entire world, which the biblical meaning of that is basically this, to restore people's relationship with God. Isaiah 49, 6, of the servant, God says, it's too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also, here it goes again, make you a light to the nations, so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. This was God's desire and heart all along. Isaiah 45, 22, as we move forward, you'll see things like this. Turn to me, God says, and be saved. All the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. We'll come back to that in a minute. And then in Isaiah 42, 6, as we pick it back up, speaking of the servant, the Lord tells us how Messiah, this is the main idea for today, tells us how the Messiah will accomplish this mission of salvation to the entire world. This is what he says. I'll read the passage in context. But we'll focus on the verse 6, which says, I am the Lord, he says to the servant, I've called you in righteousness, I will also hold you by the hand, watch over you, and I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations, to open blind eyes, 
to bring out prisoners from the dungeon, those who dwell in darkness from the prison. I am the Lord, that's my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. Behold, the former things have come to pass. Now I declare new things. Before they spring forth, I proclaim them to you. What's very fascinating to me here is it says, really, the Messiah will accomplish his mission by bringing salvation to the entire world by means of a covenant God will make with us. Now, when God makes a covenant in the Bible, he's committing himself to human beings. Um, A covenant establishes a personal relationship between God and those who are in covenant with him. Personal. Commitment. Like a marriage, which Isaiah will pick up on as we go forward. He starts to liken our relationship with God to a marriage relationship. That's what a covenant is. What's interesting, he says, I will appoint you, servant of the Lord, you as a covenant to the people. Now, Isaiah is telling us that God is sending the servant to be a covenant, not make a covenant with the people, but he actually is the embodiment of that covenant. Which, which really suggests the only way we're going to be in relationship with God is through him, you see. He is the covenant. God's commitment to people is through him. It's the Messiah who will restore our relationship to God by means of the covenant he embodies in himself. When Jesus began his ministry in Nazareth, he walked up in a synagogue, took the scroll, found Isaiah where it mentions the servant, and listen to what he says as he quotes from Isaiah 61. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to Jesus. He unrolled it and found the place where it is written, which is Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, and everybody's eyes in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he basically just said, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words... He's talking about me. I'm that servant. And at the last Passover, before Jesus was crucified, he told his disciples that his death was a sacrifice for sins in order to establish a new covenant with God in his blood. Let me just read uh, two of the Gospels account that talk about that. In Luke 22, 19 and 20, when he'd taken some bread, given thanks, Jesus broke it, gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, and he said, This cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. He is the covenant being established to restore our relationship to God. And in Matthew 26, Matthew says it this way, verses 27 and 28. 
He'd taken the cup, given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Our sin, you see, is what stands in our way of a relationship with God. And Jesus took our place, died for our sins, so we might have peace with God. That's the gospel. And when we get to the fourth servant song, this is just the first song, when we get to the fourth song in a few weeks, the servant song, Isaiah 53, which in my opinion is like the Holy of Holies a prophetic scripture regarding Messiah. I hope you can be here as we talk about that. Isaiah 53, 5 says about this servant, he was pierced for our, pierced through for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and the chastening for our peace, our shalom from God, fell on him. And by his scourging, we are healed. Back in Isaiah 42, through Messiah, God is saying, if you heard it, he's doing a new thing <laughs> through this servant who embodies his covenant with us. Behold, he says in verse 9, the former things have come to pass. All that's done. Now I declare new things. Before they spring forth, I'm proclaiming them to you. This is what's going to happen. My servant will be a covenant that I will make with you. When Messiah accomplishes his mission, this is in the first song, Isaiah 42, to bring justice to the nations and salvation to the world, I want you to listen to the result. Here's what it says in verses 10 to 13. After God says, I'm doing a new thing, what those who have received, believed the Messiah, will do is found here. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing his praise from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that's in it, you islands and those who dwell on them, let the wilderness and its cities lift up their voices, the settlements where Kedar inhabits, sons of Ishmael, let the inhabitants of Selah sing aloud, let them shout for joy from the tops of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise to the coastlands. The Lord will go forth like a warrior. He will arouse his zeal like a man of war. He will utter a shout. Yes, he'll raise a war cry. And he will prevail against his enemies. You see, when Messiah brings justice and his salvation to the earth, making peace with God for us, making things right on earth, it will result in such resounding praise the whole earth will be filled with it. And from every single person on earth, the coastlands, the islands, on the seas, everywhere, we'll hear the sound of praise. <clears throat> in the Bible, a new song, when you see that term, it's always a response to a new revelation of God's goodness toward us. We've got to sing a new song. <laughs> I mean, when, when God delivered, Egypt, uh, or delivered Israel out of Egypt and they, they watched God uh, step in and intervene on their behalf and conquer the Egyptians, first thing Moses did was write a song. we got to write a song. <laughs> and that's Exodus 15. Whenever God is giving us something new he, he's doing in delivering or anything, we got to write a song. In fact, 
the whole book of Psalms records many of those uh, marvelous, miraculous instances where God intervened for his people. And they said, we got to write a song. Well, he's saying here, when this happens, well, Messiah, we know Messiah has already come. And now we're waiting for the culmination, the fulfillment of it all in the entire earth. It's already happening. But basically he's saying once this is done, there'll be a new song. That the new revelation God's giving us is the Messiah. Dennis read from Hebrews 1 earlier this morning. In many ways, God spoke to our fathers in the past. But in these last days, he's spoken to us in his son. Something new. Something he hasn't done yet. Well, he has done it now. That's his new revelation. His final revelation to us is his son, Jesus, the servant he sends to be the embodiment of a covenant he's making with us. So as we finish this first servant song, I'd like to just touch on two things we can take away from this, two ways we can act on what we've heard. First, if you're here and you've never believed in Jesus as the Messiah, God sent him to save you from your sins. He is making a covenant with us through his blood to have a personal relationship with us if we believe in him as our own substitute. There's no one else in the universe that can do that for us. Messiah was appointed to be our covenant with God through his sacrifice for sins. No one else can mediate our relationship with God. There's no one else in the universe who can meet the terms necessary to bring us in right relationship with God. No one. At least that's what the New Testament says. Apostle Peter preached in Acts 4.12. He says, there is salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved, the name of Jesus Christ. That's the first thing. If you've never believed in him, could I invite you and urge you to receive the free gift of forgiveness and salvation by believing in Jesus as your Savior. The second thing I would say from this is if you have believed in Jesus and have a relationship with God by way of the new covenant in Jesus' blood, then what that means is you are right now Messiah's witnesses, that he's real, that he exists, his spirit living in you, and you are his witnesses to those who don't know him yet. The Messiah came to reach the entire earth, to be a light to the nations. Did you realize Jesus is still, to this day, drawing people to himself? And the coastlands, Isaiah says, are waiting for his law, for his word. The coastlands are waiting. They're still waiting. You know, we're the coastlands who heard at one point and believed and benefited from the covenant God made with us through the Messiah. So God is right now reaching out to everyone everywhere to believe in his son Jesus the Messiah. It's what the Apostle Paul said to the Athenians, who these idol worshipers, as he finished his little message, he said this in Acts 17, 30 and 31, therefore having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now 
declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he's fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he's appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. And the plan is God is using us, believers in the Messiah, to reach out on his behalf to our family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, to testify that the living God has sent the Son to be our covenant with him, reconciling us to himself with his blood. The Apostle Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, 19 and 20. God, this is just an amazing verse to me. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Those who have been reconciled have been committed to pass on the word of reconciliation with God. Therefore, Paul says, we're ambassadors for Christ, as though God himself were making an appeal through us. We beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God if you're not, in other words. As a witness that God has sent the Messiah, whose name is Jesus, my challenge is to be the light that evidences the real Jesus, be the voice that brings the good news of the gospel, be the witness in life and words that God has called us to be. And I'm telling you right now, this, this time in which we live is a strategic, opportune time to be his witnesses. Do you realize that, I think I said this before, I think it was in the second century A.D., uh, first or second century, quite often there would be plagues that would, <laughs> would devastate whole cities. They had no cure. They, they didn't know what to do. They didn't understand disease, really. And there were instances reported in historical documents that <clears throat> once, at least once or twice in Rome, when a plague hit there, the pagans would flee. <laughs> and the only people who would stay were the Christians helping. You know why? Because their hope in the Lord. They realize this life isn't all there is. They'll be raised from the dead if they die, so, and be with Jesus. And it's one thing that scholars, some scholars use to uh, say that that's probably one reason Christianity grew like it did. Their lives were totally different. They, they actually believed it and lived it. And people took notice. Who's staying? Who's helping? Who's compassionate? Who's just interested in themselves? My challenge is, during this time, it's, it's a crisis. People are scared out of their minds. There's stuff flying off the grocery shelves. Panic. Be the witness. Be ready to help. Let's encourage one another and strengthen one another as we do so. And please um, make yourself available. We're, we're going to take this week by week as far as we as a church ministry. And we will, I, I, we will try to get word out by email, Facebook, 
uh, the website, check those things every week. By Thursday, we'll let you know uh, what's going to happen for Sunday. So let's be in prayer, and uh, again, let's be the witness God has um, commissioned us to be for Christ. Father, thank you today for your word. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that uh, you sent him to be a covenant, establishing our relationship with you through his blood. I pray that we do not take that lightly and that the grace in which that we've received so freely, we would be able to, to live in this intimacy with you that would give us confidence and strength and courage to be the witnesses you want us to be, both in word and in life, and that even in this town of Elmhurst, they would recognize, hey, they're different. They, they're they're uh, compa- compassionate and helpful, and um, we want to be like him, Lord, who reached out to the most unfortunate, to those who are sick, um, to those who are dying, and we pray that you would use us in a mighty way in this time, in this place. Um, we acknowledge, Lord, that you are sovereign over all. This did not take you by surprise, but we ask you to give us wisdom so that we might uh, stand as your witnesses in this time when many are afraid. Um, and we just commit this to you. In Jesus' name, amen.